Questions from last class? So I'll just turn off the uh, video. Great. Anybody any questions? No? Okay. So we started last class, we started chapter 12, the four yogas. Four spiritual disciplines. Said we are separated from the pure consciousness, God, our real personality, due to our vasanas, our desires, which separates us from that entity. So get to get back to our original state of Godhead, we have to what? Remove our vasanas. So the four yogas have been prescribed to help us remove our vasanas. The four yogas, the four parts are bhakti yoga, path of devotion, jnana yoga, path of knowledge, karma yoga, path of action, hatha yoga, path of compulsion. Yoga means to join. Join to something you have separated from. You have strayed away from the self. So all attempts to get back to the self is called yoga in Sanskrit, religion in English. So this is our mission in life, to reunite with our original personality. So four yogas, because there are four categories of human beings based on the quality of their minds and intellect, their inner nature. So you take up a particular path, particular yoga discipline based on your nature, emotional nature. This person's mind is stronger than his intellect. Therefore, path of devotion, bhakti yoga. Second category is a person with an intellectual nature. In this person, the intellect is more developed than the mind, path of knowledge, jnana yoga. So the third type is one with an active nature. Both the mind and intellect are equally developed. So for this kind of person, a path of action is given, karma yoga. And the last hatha yoga, a person who is indolent, neither of the three, lazy. So physical postures are given to that person to wake them up so that he can start, she can start feeling and thinking. Is everyone clear on that? Any clarifications? Is 
So now we look at each path in more detail. Today we're going to look at Bhakti Yoga, path of devotion. Who qualifies for path of devotion? Whose mind is more stronger, more stronger than the intellect, more devotional, more emotional. For this person, Bhakti Yoga has been given. So what is Bhakti Yoga? What, what does devotion mean to, to us? What does it mean to you? Anyone, what does devotion mean to you? Okay, what does devotion mean? Uh, sort of like surrendering yourself. But, uh, surrendering yourself, yeah. But more, but more like in tune with your emotions when you're surrendering yourself, so having that some sort of feeling. To something higher. Yeah. Something unknown. This is devotion. So you, as you rightly said, you surrender to something higher, something beyond your intellect, beyond your reasoning. You don't know what it is, so you surrender. All right, ready. We're going to start with Bhakti Yoga, path of devotion. Bhakti Yoga, path of devotion. Bhakti means devotion and bhakti yoga is the path of devotion designed for persons in the emotional category. Generally misconstrued as a path of blind faith, superstitious belief or mechanical ritual. Bhakti is not merely a fanatic attachment to a personal god to the exclusion of other gods, nor does it mean a zealous upholding of a cult or creed against others. Yet, people throughout the world follow these practices without probing into their validity. The religious prayer and worship is directed merely to gain either material benefit or mental solace. So, what is that saying? Bhakti yoga in today's society has the wrong connotation. They don't, people don't understand the true meaning of bhakti yoga. They don't question. They do things mechanically. People think it's blind faith, superstitious belief, mechanical ritual, attachment to one God. You think you're different from others. No one checks. Only my God is the real God. Only this way. Only this temple. Prayer, worship, directed mainly to gain either material benefit or mental solace. To get peace. Material things, 
that my child passes exam. Let me get a good job. Make me rich. These are all our prayers. We believe only our God will take us to the end. This is what we believe, most people. Agree, disagree? No one's questioning. No one questions. You have to think about it. What, how are we praying? You have to think about that. Nothing wrong with questioning it. Am I doing it right? After today's class, you'll be able to know exactly what is right and wrong. Today's class is very important if you're a devotional person. Ravi. Prayer is not beggary. Moreover, mere asking will not help. Yet people make selfish demands in their prayers without paying the price for them. They want to harvest without sowing seeds, eat without producing. The law of life is that you get what you deserve, not what you desire. You are rewarded by your work, not for your work. Work performed brilliantly need not solicit any gain. The work itself earns the reward. The same law holds good in the spiritual field as well. People make selfish demands in their prayers, beg for favours, implore with tears, but the unrelenting law of life has no room for weak pity. So we've reduced prayer to beggary, asking God for favours. Is, we think he's a genie. Pray to me like this and I'll grant you your wish. Huh? This doesn't work. Law of life is you get what you deserve, not what you desire. Why is that? You get what you deserve, not what you desire. Why is that? Any idea? Obviously, it's to do with your vastness, your previous yes. baggage that you brought along. Yeah. What's the term we're looking for? Karma. Karma. Cause and effect. You get what one deserves mean based on what actions you put in the past, not what you desire. Whatever you want in life, you have to work for it. You can't just pray, pray to God without putting any effort in there, in yourself. But we do. We think if we pray hard enough, strong enough, then we'll get it. You can't, it doesn't work that way. You have to put in the effort. You've all heard that joke, no? 
person praying to God every day, please let me win the lottery, please let me win the roti. Praying for years and years, please, then he gives up. This God isn't working for me. He's not answering my call. And one day God says to him, I'm happy to let you win the lottery, but at least buy a ticket. You have to put in some effort. Instead, you just pray, pray, it's not going to work. You have to put the cause in. This is what they're saying. God is not a genie. Ravi. Devotion today has come to mean superstitious centering of love in personalities. Blind reliance on rituals and unquestioning faith in idols and places of worship. People attached to their own creeds, involved in their own sex. They restrict themselves in their particular idols and have lost the Catholicity of religion. The minds of so-called religious people are plagued with a strange fear, an uncalled for anxiety, and a vain hope centering around an unknown God. And they direct their desperate feelings towards holy bodies and idols, relics and rituals. Such devotion reaches one as far as those outward forms and places go. No further than that. Idols have no doubt a place and purpose in spiritual practice. But few realize that an idol is meant to reach the ideal and that an idol is not the ideal. The idol has no meaning or purpose without an ideal. It is a means to an end, not an end in itself. Not realizing this, most practitioners in the devotional path are stuck to their idols with no concept of the ideal it stands for. A devotee may use an idol only to reach the ideal, but he must go beyond the manifest form or person to gain the unmanifest reality. What's that saying? What, what does that paragraph say? Every, all of us are doing this in some form in our practice. What does it say? Yeah, Tanish. What you're saying is that if you pray to, let's say, Krishna, yeah, he's not the end all or do all. You have to go beyond Krishna and find yourself. Perfect. He can guide you to yourself, but you have to take the next step. Yeah, and most of us get stuck at the idol. That's right. This is what he's saying. It does have a purpose. I think people lost the meaning of religion. It's been reduced to blind faith. The attachment to a personality. Attachment to a place of worship. Attachment to an idol. An idol is not God. An idol is not God. Attached to your rituals, performing rituals does not take you to God. 
attached to a dead body of a holy person, that dead body is not God. Attached to a temple, attached to a church, mosque, neither of those are God. These places of worship are an environment that helps you think of God. It's a conducive environment to make you think of something higher. If you can go think of God without them, you don't need to go. Does that make sense? Wordsworth poem, The Daffodils. He saw the daffodils and makes, made him think of the higher, made him think of God. Why does he need to go to a temple, church, or mosque? He's already thinking of that higher. But people who cannot, they need to go. So it's an environment that they can think of that. We're not saying don't go, but Understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. This is what we're saying. Rituals are practices that you do so that one day you might ask, why do we do this ritual? And someone who knows will say, because it reminds you of the one God. Can everyone please turn their microphones off? Thank you. So doing rituals blindly doesn't help you. But we get so involved in the ritual. How it must be performed, what clothes must you wear to perform it, what utensils you must use, which hand you must hold that utensil, how much money you must put in the ritual, what you must donate to the establishment. What has all that got to do with God? I'm not condemning it. We're not saying you shouldn't perform them. But you have to understand why you're doing it, what you're doing it, how it helps you to understand God. How does it help you to get closer to God? People are just doing these things and are stuck to it religiously. And they think doing it is being re religious. So you have to use these things as props to help you get to the ultimate, to the manifest God. These idols, rituals, are to get you to the ideal. Does anyone know why rituals were developed, why they were made? Anybody have any idea? It's discipline. Discipline, okay. Anybody else? Focus. Yeah, Dhanush? To remind you there is a God. Remind you there is a God. Okay. That's, that's all it is. And if, once you get to that step, then you look for the higher, hopefully. See, now you know. Today you, you've understood that you need, it takes you to the higher. But how many people don't know that? They're stuck with the rituals. This is what we're saying here. They're not looking beyond it. 
is a stepping stone. The rituals were developed thousands of years ago because to preserve this knowledge. People weren't able to understand this knowledge. So rituals were given to, to do, to perform. One day they'll ask, why am I doing this ritual? And that day they will start looking for the information, the knowledge, that it's an it's a idol to take you to the ideal. It's because of rituals that we have this knowledge today. Otherwise, we'd have died a long time ago. So we're not condemning rituals. We're not saying it's wrong. If it wasn't for rituals, we wouldn't have this subject today. It has kept it alive. But it has a purpose and its place. We need to look beyond. This is what it's saying. Don't be attached to any of these things. Use it to move forward, as Dharma said. Once you move forward, you don't need them then. There's no need to perform them. It served its purpose. You have to use these things as props to help you get to the ultimate, to the unmanifest God. Idols, places of worship, Any clarifications? Okay. An ideal, an idol may be a living person or an inert object, substantial or insubstantial. It is meant to represent the ideal that is sought. Like a national flag for a nation, the flag is the ideal used to develop national consciousness. The ideal set for the people, imagine a person with a deep regard and respect for his flag. He uses it faithfully for national ceremonies and conventions, while he engages his time in anti-national activities. Such is the state of devotional people today. They stick to idols, hang on to personalities, get addicted to ceremonies and rituals, run after pilgrimages to places of worship with no sight of an ideal. They miss the soul of prayer and worship. They take the husk and throw the grain away. So saying, People are fearful, you see, once you start practicing certain things and you've been doing it for many years and generations, people are fearful to let it go. This is the problem. But you would let it go if you understand that it leads to something higher and it's meant to lead somewhere higher. All these idols stand for an ideal. Without an ideal, the idol has no meaning. National flag is not the country. It represents the country. You can't say the flag is the country. You bow to the flag every day, but you do things which are against the country. Break the laws. 
What's the point? Idol has no meaning without the ideal. People fight, kill to defend their temple. It's a brick building. It represents an ideal. See, one thing you have to remember, when you First thing you should remember when you take up this subject, where is God? Again, you start understanding where is God when you take up the subject, where is God? Where is God? It's nearer to you than you think. Anyone, where is God? He's everywhere and nowhere. Where is God? In us. Within us. We're part where, of it. Where are we looking for it? Where are we looking for God? We should be looking oh. inward. Outwardly. And we where is it, you said? We're, we're driving and going in all sorts of places when actually it's inside us. <laughs> Sounds silly now, doesn't it? Why do we need to look for him externally? No doubt, as Dhamma said, he's everywhere. But why not look where he's closest? This is supposed to make you think. So what he's saying is that you've lost the essence of devotion. Let's go and do a trip to this temple, that temple. Nothing wrong with it. But remember, God is inside you. You don't need to look for him anywhere. You can still go to the temples. This restricts your spiritual growth. This is the problem. See, visiting these places and doing all these ceremonies, if it takes you closer, there's nothing, then there's, it, it's fine. But it has a limit to where it can take you. This is what we're saying. There's a limit. Any clarifications? Tamish, I mean, Ravi. Cast aside all these meaningless practices of devotion and probe into its quintessence. Devotion arises when the intellect fails to comprehend an unknown realm. Where the mind surrenders to the area of ignorance, you surrender to a doctor when you are ignorant of your illness. You surrender to a lawyer when you are ignorant of the law related to your problem. But you have not cared to scan the vast areas of ignorance in your life and thus remain totally unaware of the expanse of ignorance that shrouds your personality. 
yet you sport an ego of I know it all. The devotion arises when the intellect does not understand something, as um, Gail said in the beginning. The mind surrenders to the area of your ignorance. You don't know medicine, so you surrender to a doctor. You don't know law, you surrender to a lawyer. But when it comes to religion, we say we know. We don't, there's so much ignorance within us about life itself, about who we are, but we say, I know. My ego says, I know it all. Do you know, this is God. This is what God is. This is who I am. We don't realize the area of our ignorance. What does that mean? Any idea? It's time you examine your personality. Okay, we all know. Let me ask you. Do you know where you come from? We don't know where we come from. Do you know your purpose in life, in this world, when you're born? We don't know our purpose. Do you know where we go from here? We don't know where we go from here. The day we are born, mother's milk is available. Oxygen is available. Temperature and pressure within and and outside is maintained. One degree here and there and we're sick. Who looks after? Who maintains that? Who gives you the oxygen? Without oxygen you can't live. You get it for free. How much would you pay for oxygen if you had to buy it? Water you can't live without. You get it for free. Temperature and atmospheric pressure maintained for your survival. Your nervous system. So many things happening in the body, from birth to death. Something happens, the body repairs itself. How does it happen? Free repair. Some virus comes into you. The body starts reacting to it, gets rid of the virus. How does that happen? All these things are going on in our life. Do we know how this works? And we say we know. What do we say? I want more. All these things have been given to you for free already. And we say I want more. 
Bella? You want more? Are we grateful for all these things that we get for free? Do you wake up every day and say, thank you for another day, I'm fit and healthy. I'm functioning. Who does all this? We don't know all these things and we say we know everything. It's supposed to make you think. All the things we have, are we grateful for it? We're not because we're thinking of what else we want. This is the problem. It's no one's fault. Everyone's the same. It's, this is the area of our ignorance, it's saying. We don't know about these things. We're not, we don't understand. We have to find out. To this vast realm of ignorance, of an unseen hand functioning, must you surrender. An awareness of the infinite blessings showered everywhere, followed by gratitude. This would constitute the fundamentals of devotion. Devotion is to understand and recognize the splash of divinity manifested in every being, everywhere, to identify and merge with that omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent reality. This is devotion. Whoever's giving me this oxygen, I bow down to. Thank you. I surrender to you. This is devotion. Surrender to this unknown force that is present in the world, that makes all things function to identify and become one with this pervading reality. This is devotion, not what we do. It comes from knowledge and understanding. Very few religious people know this. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. Does that give you some idea of what devotion is? Any clarifications? Any clarification on devotion? Does it make sense? You can disagree, by the way. No one will condemn you for disagreeing. So you might say, well, whoever's written this, how do we know this is real? How do we know this is devotion? You can ask someone's written a book saying this is what devotion is, how do we believe him? That question should arise. 
You're reading from one book telling me this is what devotion is. I've been doing this all my life and for me this is devotion. How do I know what you're saying is right? You can question. Isn't it? You can't just believe. If you just believe what I say, then you're no different. It's no different from what you're already believing in. It's blind faith again, isn't it? Is everyone with me? Dhanush? It, it would be blind faith if there was an explanation to it. Yeah. And the explanation makes sense. Okay. So hence, it's also a question that you probably work on later. Maybe not now. And if you had questions, we would come back. Hmm. Okay. Sounds good. So where have we got this from? First of all, what's the validity of this? Where does this come from? Who said this? I'm not saying it. Someone said it. And I've just read and learned and I'm telling you. So it's not me who's come up with it. Who has said it? The Upanishads in the Vedas have given humanity the highest ultimate philosophy, which takes you to the threshold of the supreme reality, Brahman. One of them, entitled Kenopanishad, roars the staggering truth in five consecutive verses. Has anyone, you've all heard of the Upanishads? Has anyone read the Upanishads? Any of the Upanishads? There's about 200 and something. Okay. So, if ever you get a chance to read the Upanishad, it's very terse to understand. If you can tune into the Upanishads, it is the greatest work you'll ever read. It takes you from this world and puts you in the doorstep of God. Literally. Literally. Blow your mind. For sure. So the sages who have written the Upanishads are talking from their own experience. They have reached the highest goal and they're explaining it to us. They have, they have got to that stage. They are telling us this. I'll read one verse to get an idea. To justify what we've just said about devotion. This is one of many verses, by the way. It reads, Yad Bachan Biyuditam Genavaga Biyudyate Tadeva Brahmatpam Vitti Nedam Yadita Mupasate. That which cannot be expressed by speech, that by which speech is expressed, know that alone to be Brahman, not this, this which people worship. Continues, next paragraph, next, next verse. That which cannot be visualized by the mind, that by which the mind visualizes, so they say, 
No, that alone to be Brahman. Not this, this which people worship. It goes on. That which allows you to breathe. That by which prana is sustained. Know that alone to be Brahman. Not this, this which people worship. And it continues. And this is coming from a person who has got to that stage of self-realization, who's been there. I ask you, who's been to Taj Mahal? You've been to Taj Mahal. Who hasn't been to Taj Mahal? Dharmash, have you been? Where have you been? Let's say one of you haven't been to Taj Mahal. Yeah? All of you have been. I ask you, I have never been. Can you explain to me what Taj Mahal is like? How will the account of the person who hasn't been to Taj Mahal be? He knows what Taj Mahal is. He reads on Wikipedia. Taj Mahal, what is it? He tells you. It'll be factual, he'll be right. Built this year, how many people took to build, how long it took, who built it. And he'll be right. He's never been, but he can talk to me about Taj Mahal. The other person, Shilabin, you've been. Your experience will be completely different. You'll be saying, when you see it for the first time, it makes you feel like you're somewhere else. You can feel the love that Sir Jahan had for his wife. You'll say when you touch the stone, it feels so cool. Your expression will be different. Both will be right. You all with me? So the Upanishads, when the person in the Upanishads, the sage talks about Brahman, He's talking from experience. He's been there. He's there, one. Then he's talking. Unlike a person who just talks actual without the experience. You see the difference? That's why when you read the Upanishad, it, it's so powerful. It takes you to the doorstep of Brahman. So they're saying this, this is what devotion is, not what you do. So there, there is some substantial uh, evidence and it's from the Upanishads, by the way, yeah? This is the highest knowledge known to man. Larry, can you read the uh, Upanishads? The Upanishads in the Vedas have given humanity the highest, ultimate philosophy, which takes you to the threshold of the supreme reality, Brahman. One of them entitled 
Genupashad roars the staggering truth in five consecutive verses. That supreme reality, Brahman is yourself within and not what you worship here in the world. Though the Upanishads are known for their brevity, their terse, cryptic language, it marvels in its profound explanation of God. God is the supreme omnipresence. While he resides within as yourself, the self that enlivens your eyes to see, that enlivens your ears to hear, your limbs to function, mind to feel emotions, intellect to conceive thoughts. That is the supreme God, and not what people worship in the external world. Remember that, realize that. That's what you, not what you worship here in the external world. Remember that, this is what, he's, this is what they're saying. So what are the qualifications of a devotee? To attain God-realization, a devotee must qualify himself with sterling qualities. The Gita in its 12th chapter, verses 13 to 20, lists 35 divine qualities that makes up a true devotee. So to qualify as a devotee, you have to have 35 qualities to reach that state. That then you are a devotee. That qualifies you as a devotee. We'll just go through a few of these, yeah? See how many you qualify for. Then you know which ones you have to work towards. Go. Hates no being. You can pick it off, yeah? Hates no being. Compassionate. Not possessive. Free from egoism. Unaffected by pleasure or pain. Forgiving. Always content. Uniting with self, self-controlled, firm conviction, mind and intellect dedicated to self, who does not agitate the world, who is not agitated by the world, Free from joy, envy, fear, anxiety. Free from want. Pure. Dexterous. Untroubled. Not arrogating any activity as one's own. You know what? You know what I did? I did that. That was me. I did that.
neither rejoices, hates, grieves, or desires. Balanced in pleasant or unpleasant happenings. Unaffected by heat or cold, joy or sorrow, honor or dishonor. Free from attachment. Equal to censure and praise. Someone tells you off, it doesn't matter to you. Someone praise you, it doesn't affect you. Silent. Content with anything. Free from possessions. Doesn't mean you don't have to possess anything. Doesn't mean you give everything away. Mentally you're free from that attachment. Firm-handed. Endued with faith. Regards self as supreme. So to qualify as a devotee, doesn't mean just going to a temple and bowing down. These are the qualities you have to imbibe in your life. People are going to say, oh, you know what, I've had enough of this subject. <laughs> 35 qualities I have to develop. I have only five of these. How many more I need to get? But that's good then. You only need to work on 30. You should be positive. So don't be disheartened, yeah? At least it's giving you a blueprint what you have to do. At least you have a direction, right? Before, we don't have a direction. We don't know where we're going, how we're going to get there. At least this way you have some direction. Isn't it? At least you can put your effort and energy in developing these qualities, then you know you're moving forward. Ravi, devotee of God. A devotee of God is one who is endowed with the 35 qualities. True devotion means faith in good rather than faith in God. The general concept of devotion, bhakti does not seem to have any bearing on these qualities. A person with none of these qualities is still reputed to be a great devotee, bhakta. The non-essentials of devotion are blown up at the expense of the essentials. People in ignorance accept fanatic attachment and following of a particular deity or personality. Creed or cult as devotion. Devotion is not as simple as that. The devotional path requires a high level of discipline and training to develop the divine traits. The real and earnest part of devotion is seen in the annihilation of the ego, self-effacement. A true devotee considers himself a spoke in the wheel of life, surrenders his individuality to the totality, to the general plan of nature, recognizes and feels the divinity in and around. So these days, due to ignorance, we are not aware of these qualities. 
even a person who doesn't have any of these qualities, we think, what a great devotee he is or she is. Person doesn't have any of these qualities. But they do certain things. So we make we feel that they are a spiritual person. A mere attachment and belief in a deity or personality does not replace these qualities. Doesn't matter how many times you go to a temple or a mosque or a church. You have to go through a high level of discipline and training to develop these qualities. Only you can do it. The real path to devotion is reducing your ego, to eradicate your ego, removing your desires so the self manifests within you. The subtle intellect develops, manifests within you. So he tells you how to do it. A true devotee considers himself a spoke in the wheel of life. This is life, I am part of it. I'm not as important, I'm, I'm, I'm just as important as everybody else. I'm important and I'm not important. I just fit into the plan of things. Surrenders his individuality to totality. I am just a spoke in a wheel. This is nature. This is the general plan of nature. I'm here for a short period, I'll be gone. Nothing matters. It's the journey. Make a big deal of everything. Just enjoy the journey. Be part of the establishment, as they say. Recognizes the, and feels the divinity in and around. You know, we said, where, who gives this oxygen? Who gives this, all these things for us? Water, this environment for, for us to live. This is devotion, not what we do here. Any clarifications? Did you have a clarification, Shilam? Uh, no, I think we need a couple of months to recognize all our qualities and speak about it. A couple of months, if we can do it, yeah, it's, great. It's, it's, it's a very, I think I'm quite moved by this today, listening to this. Look, you can carry this with you. Look, 35 qualities of Bhakta. I, got a little uh, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I got it from. I found it this morning. Oh, wow. 35 qualities of Bhakta, devotee of God. Gita, Nyana, Yagniya, 2012. They must have given this out in 2012. Ah, I'll have to dig for it. <laughs> Not what you practice in the world. This is devotion. Just take that away. Question. Devotion and love. 
Devotion and love are the same emotion, differing in direction, not in nature. When a feeling of affection, fondness is directed to your equals or lower beings or objects, it is called love. The same directed towards the higher is known as devotion. You love your friend, your child, your pet, but you are devoted to your parents, guru, God. Therefore, one cannot claim to have devotion to God if he has no love for his fellow beings. This idea has been well captured by James Henry Lee Hunt in his poem, Above Ben Adam. The poem narrates about Ben it's okay, Adam. Sorry. Devotion and love are the same emotion, feeling of affection towards objects and beings. Covered this last week. Affection towards objects and beings to one's equal or below is love. A feeling to your deity, parents, guru, God is devotion. One cannot have devotion to God without love for his fellow beings. So this is the one, quali- one of the qualities, love all beings. So there's this poem, Abu Ben Adam. So Abu Ben Adam, in his dream, sees an angel. And he, and he wakes up and he asks the angel, what are you doing? Because I'm writing names in a book. Well, what, what names? Names of who? All the people that, names of people that love God. So Abu asks, is my name on there? My name on the list? And then Joe replies, no, your name is not on the list. So then Abu, he says, tells the angel, Okay, well, write my name as one who loves his fellow man. The angel wrote it and left. The next night, the angel returns and shows Abu that his name was first above all in the list that loved God. Abu Ben Adam. May his tribe increase. Awoke one night from a deep dream of peace and saw within the moonlight in his room, making it rich and like a lily in bloom, an angel writing in a book of gold, exceeding peace had made Ben Adam bold. And to the presence in the room, he said, what writest thou? The vision raised its head. And with a look made of all sweet accord, answered the names of those who love the Lord. And is mine one? said Abu. Nay, not so, replied the angel. Abu smoke, spoke more low, but cheerily still, and said, I pray thee then, write me as one that loves his fellow men. The angel wrote and vanished. The next night it came again a great wakening light and showed the names with love of God had blessed and lo, Ben Adam's name led all the rest. So that's devotion for you. 
poem depicts devotion to God, one who loves his fellow beings, is true devotion to God, since God is within us all. Therefore, if we cannot love our fellow humans, how can we love an unknown God? The Abu, he never prayed in a normal way. He was not surprised that his name was not on the list. So he said, put my name down as one who loves man. That's recognized as the highest devotion. Basically, love all beings. The self in you is the self in them. The whole universe. Any clarifications? This is the path of devotion. Next week, we look at half of knowledge. Any questions, any clarifications? That these qualities, they're in the Bhagavad Gita and they're, they're discussed in more detail. So it tells you which chapter it is. So if you're more than welcome to read more about it. 12th chapter, verses 13 to 20. For your reference, whoever has the Gita, any Gita. something to uh, think about and work towards. So question what you're, how you're being devotional. Question what you're doing. I'm not saying stop what you're doing, but question. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? How does this bring me closer to God? And today you've really understood or we've explained what God is. That's Bhakti Yoga. Everyone's so quiet. Krishna Ben, you enjoying the sun? Yeah, I've got a question. Yeah, please. Um, you were, well, it was discussing that the self-realized souls were from a long time ago. How do we now know that the self-realized people who are now, say, talking or lecturing or giving these talks are doing the same thing because everybody's experience as you said will be different so how do we know they're all saying the same thing because they're all they're all ultimately talking about the same thing if you read all the Upanishads they're all talking yeah. about that one God and their experience their worldly experience 
and the ultimate experience. And you'll find that generally there's a theme and the ultimate experience is somewhat very similar. If you read, read the Upanishads, whoever, whichever Upanishads you read, the theme will be the same, even though they were written thousands and hundreds of years apart by people who are unknown to each other. Yeah, thousands of years ago, no books, yeah, no lectures, no Zoom. Yeah, everyone's experience was the same. But they explain it differently because it's an experience. But the theme of that experience is the same. Does that make sense? And that's why we can say that they're all saying the same thing, ultimately. They'll give different examples, they'll say in a different way, but ultimately saying the same thing. We only study four Upanishads in the ashram, um, but they're long. I mean, you know, they're very long uh, and, they're, and they're very deep. Um, but the reason we only do four is because if you know these four, then you know all 208 because the theme is the same. And it tells you the same thing, ultimately. You don't need to read 200 to understand there's only one God and is within you. So the Bhagavad Gita, I tried reading it, but it's, it's really difficult to understand. First of all, which one are you using, reading? Are you reading the one we've, or a different version? I think it's a different version. So as I said to somebody else previously, different Bhagavad Gita, the essence, um, all the Bhagavad Gita verses are the same in all books. Okay. But it's the interpretation is different by different people. The verse is the same, but the interpretation is different. If you're a devotional person, you will, the interpretation will be devotional. If you're an intellectual person who deciphers the Bhagavad Gita, which is what we're doing, it's an intellectual basis of understanding. Practical. So different versions um, decipher the Bhagavad Gita in a different ways, based on who's doing it. Like Hare Krishna version of the Bhagavad Gita is more devotional. They believe Krishna is God and that's it. Okay. So we just need to be aware that whichever version we're using may be slightly different and it's our take on it. That's the important bit. Uh, interpretation is different. Explanation is different. When we do it, we'll be doing it on the same lines as we've been doing it. See, all these classes we're doing now, okay. all these classes we're trying to understand, it's so it qualifies us to be able to read the Bhagavad Gita. All right. Okay. So should we be using the Bhagavad Gita alongside this as well? Because you mentioned a few verses from there. Yeah, I would, for example, I just, we just talked about verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 13 to 20, talks about the 35 qualities of human being. You can pick up any, any Bhagavad Gita, it will give you that, uh, because the verses are the same in all Bhagavad Gita. Okay. But I wouldn't study the Gita until we finish this book because your understanding of the Gita will be much more deeper and better because you'll know all the basic terminology, the foundation. Yeah. That's why I'm having difficulties because I just... Oh, you're having difficulties. <laughs>
you're not qualified yet. You're not prepared, and you're reading one Something. that doesn't agree with your understanding. Okay. I should stop that. Thanks. Any other clarification or question? So, um, the plan is in the next few weeks, once I finish the budget going down with the Bolton group, take me another few weeks, I think. Um, Wednesday, we're going to stop the group discussion and instead we're going to start a new class on the basics. That doesn't mean we won't have any Q&A. We will have um, a Q&A before each session of class. Anybody has any clarifications? And if need be, we can always have a group discussion session every fortnight or monthly based on your questions. Yeah, we can always conduct that. But I think it's better if we start a, a new group starting from the basics on a Wednesday. So bear that in mind, whoever wants to um, join. Sorry, Will that be what's uh, uh, Sorry, I was going to ask, that, is it going to be covering the same book? So we'll start at the beginning of this book or do we start? No, we'll start a couple of books before that. Okay. We may do governing business and relationships. It covers business and relationships and then move up. Okay. Would, it be, would it be difficult to follow both groups? No, not at all. They talk, they all both talk the same language. Okay. Just in fact, it will give you a better understanding of this book that we're doing now. Yeah. We're not sure time, whatever, it's up to the group. So let me know whoever wants to, who, who feels that they, because um, um, I need to not get some idea of numbers, how many people would be interested in that Wednesday group, you know, then, then we can um, do that. Because I know a few people have uh, expressed their interest in doing that. But it will be video video only, yeah? No audio only. Everyone will have to, uh, <laughs> you know, because that's the only way you can focus and uh, I know if you're getting it or not and understanding it. So to qualify, you need to have a video on. <laughs> Video and participate. <laughs> if we want it in, if we had it in a classroom environment, you can't put a you can't put a bag over your head and then come to the class. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's for the qualification. So let me know, guys. Numbers. Maybe you can on the WhatsApp group. You can just say, you know, who's interested. It'll be in a few weeks' time. Okay, if there's no more questions, clarifications. Enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>